I understood those, uh, those sign language, Annette. <laughs> kids, have fun, kids. Teachers, try to have fun. But I love this church. I love you guys. And every time I have a chance to say anything, I hope that it's something that's going to speak to somebody here, maybe several people here. And you guys have been so supportive of myself and, and the journey God has me on. And I, last Sunday I had a couple people ask me, where is Pastor? What's going on? Is he coming back? Is there something going wrong? You know, is he coming back? And he is coming back. Nothing's wrong. He's simply taking a time of just rest and relaxation for himself and his family. Uh, I think he has two teenage daughters. One is going to be graduating next year. And what a great summer for them to just spend just solely into the, together with family and just pouring into the lives of his kids and so I ask you continue to pray for him as he's on his sabbatical that God will refresh him, renew him, give him some new words for our church. But I think that our church supporting him in this is going to be it's beneficial to him, his family, but I think it also will be beneficial to this church, and God will bless us for blessing our pastor. And in my, in my ministry classes, there's a couple of us that are pastor's kids, and so every once in a while we'll talk about ministry and, and what it entails, and they're always asking, us, the pastor's kids, you know, what was it like having a dad as pastor? And, and so I will say this because a lot of people think, I always joke with Pastor Nelson that he only works on Sunday. And I know that's not true. As, as a child of two parents of pastors, he works, it's 24-7. You're on call 24-7, basically. And I remember when I was a teenager in high school, the church that my dad pastored, um, our parsonage was like at the entryway of the church, I guess, the driveway. And <clears throat> I recall it had to have been close to Christmas because my sister who was married was there. My sister was home from college. We were decorated for Christmas. And we were all hanging out together in the house. And it was nighttime. It was like on the weekend. And our house had a big like picture window in front of it. And so to walk up to our front door, you had to have seen us like all celebrating and having fun. And there was a knock on the door, and um, a couple came to the door and said, you know, Pastor Gary, you need to marry us. And my dad was like, okay, well, you know, call the office. We'll make, you know, arrangements for you to get counseling, whatever. And they're like, no, right now. My dad was like, I don't do that. You know, I'm spending time with family. And I remember sitting there thinking, how dare they? It's Christmas. We're celebrating. And my dad had to, like, go back and forth for a few minutes like to get them to leave. And so that is just a one instance of what a pastor's family sometimes goes through. And so while we may sit and think, wow, I would love to have a few months off from my job, I think this will be so great for him and his family. I think it's so important, and I think as a church it's awesome that we're supporting that. And, and as you support him, you guys have supported me, and I'm so excited about the call God has on my life. And I wouldn't be up here if I didn't have permission and um support from Pastor Nelson. He asked me back in May to preach, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And he's like, no, you did great the first time. You can do it again. And so I'm thankful that a pastor sees, you know, the purpose and the visions God has for my life in this church and um, that he challenges me. And what a great mentor he is, Pastor Raphael as well. He's been encouraging me. Our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, supports women in ministry, and I'm so thankful for that. And um, and lastly, without my husband's 100% support, I wouldn't be up here this morning. I know how important it is to have the backing of godly men and stuff in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And before I get into my sermon, I will get there. Um, 
my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law are here, and I am so thankful they're here. She is, and they, they are both not in-laws to me. They are family. I, she's my second mom. I love her dearly. My brother-in-law, I'm not going to cry. Don't cry, Nellie. <laughs> I see you back there. I love her, um, and I'm so happy they're here supporting, and now I'm even more nervous. i got to preach in front of my mother-in-law. Oh, my gosh. My kids, my kids will tell me, Mom, you're, you don't cook like Tita. Tita cooks so much better. And I can't even, I can't even like get mad at it because it's true. She's Peruvian. She cooks amazing. And so I'm so thankful you guys are here today. And you guys have been praying for Carlos right along with us. And through his brain tumors and cancer, I look at you, Carlos. You're a blessing. You're a miracle. And I'm so thankful he's here today. Yeah, that's right. That's it. I'm not going to embarrass you guys anymore. (laughs) But what I want to talk to today is kind of the journey that I've been on, and I hope that by talking the journey that I've been on that I will help encourage some of you. And I know that sometimes opening up my life and kind of talking where God is taking me in the last few months is scary. I think that um, it opens myself up maybe for you to judge me or criticize where I've been in my journey over the last few months. But I also know that sometimes with families we have to have these tough conversations, right? And when we love each other, it's all good. And so with that, I'm so comfortable talking to you about what God is doing in my life and kind of the hard things that I've gone through over the last few months. And when Pastor asked me back in May if I would preach, I began to pray about what God would have me say today. And he kept coming back. God would kept revealing this message that I had been writing, but it was kind of a tough one, and I was like, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. But as I started praying and just really focusing on today and what God has for you guys, I know that this is what I'm supposed to speak on. And so often during the week I come up here when I have a break and I pray, and, and my prayers go to you guys. I pray for you guys. And as a matter of fact, as I go through the pews, and I'm the one that refills the papers and the envelopes in your pew, and as I go through every pew every week, I do this every Thursday or Friday, when I'm going through your pew, because we all tend to sit in the same place, um, I think about you guys, and I'm praying for you. I know some of you are facing challenges and struggles. And so as I walk through the pews, I think about you guys and what you could be facing in your life. And if I know you have a need, I pray for it. If not... I'm praying for you guys. If, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. And so often when I'm here praying, I feel the burdens of you guys and what some of us are going through and just so many challenges and circumstances change, man. Life from one moment to the next changes. And I wrote this outline back in May and I think to where I am today, how much the world has changed just in the last few months. We have so many issues facing our world. And it just lets me, it reminds me that our life is temporary. It's moment by moment. We can, cha- we can leave out the door and our life changed forever today. And that, and I said this last Sunday and I'm going to say it again that our circumstances change all the time, but God doesn't. God tells us, it tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think what an awesome promise that is for us. And not only is God faithful, but his mercy is faithful, his grace, his love is continually faithful. And I think, man, I was talking to Miss May last week about God's mercies and how we think that we've gone through the darkest of nights, but we know that when we wake up, his mercies are new and they're waiting for us. That's our faithful God. 
I love last week the missionary, Paul Robinson. He spoke of how important our testimonies are. And I think, you know, the Bible is a book of testimony. It's testimony from beginning to end of what God did and what God's going to do. And so it's our testimonies in, in today's society can free people. They can send people to jail. And I'm so thankful that our testimonies through Jesus Christ are meant to free people And up until the end of the Bible in Revelations, we know that the saints will overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, right? So we know that all through the beginning of time until the end, our testimony is how important they are. And as I talk to you today, I am very reverent and respectful of the call God has on my life. And I know that in myself, I am inadequate, ill-equipped, and insufficient. But I know that God's grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us that his grace is sufficient for you, for us. For in his, in my strength is, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, I would most gladly boast, in my infirmity, and not in my infirmities, but the power that Christ may rest upon me. And we know the first part, my grace is sufficient. We say that all the time. But it also goes to talk about, in our weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect and I think that if we're not weak sometimes, God's strength can't be seen in us. If we don't have pain, if we don't have sickness or illness sometimes, his healing power can't be seen. And so sometimes we're going through trials and we think, what is the purpose of this? And it's the powers that God's power can be seen. And just to talk for a second about where my life is, I'm sorry. I'm, I have been having a cold all week, of course, so I'm going to be drinking a lot. But I've talked so much about my dad and what's going on with my family. <clears throat> and um, my family, myself, Alberto, my parents, my brothers and sisters are going through probably, I would say, the darkest time in our family's life. You guys know my dad has ALS, and it's Lou Gehrig's disease. It's incurable. It's, there's no treatment for it. You get, um, sit, you get diagnosed with ALS and you wait for it to consume you and for it to kill you. And he's, he's going on his fourth year. He's made it farther than doctors would even think. But it's hard. It's hard watching. My dad is probably the most influential person that I've ever had in my life, humanly. And, you know, I, it's, it's so hard. It's hard to watch people suffer for my dad, I think, is so amazing. He's an amazing dad. He was an awesome pastor, just an amazing person. And to see him suffer and go through what he's going through, the challenges are great. And um, every time I get to see them, they live five hours away, so I don't get to go very often. When I do, I always think, you know, when I leave his house, is this the last time I'm going to see him alive? Is this the last time my kids are going to be able to um, see their grandpa? And I remember a few months ago, it being particularly a hard visit, he wasn't doing well. I cried like the whole way home. And we got home and I just, I couldn't sleep. And the next day the kids went on to school and um, Alberto went on to work and I wasn't home by myself. And I remember having it out with God and just saying, God, where are you? Do you care? Do you hear me? Have you abandoned me? What's going on? I wish I could tell you that at that moment, the heavens opened and a choir came down and God himself walked into the room and spoke to me, but he didn't. And I know God was there. It was me that wasn't seeing God or hearing from God. It was, it was me. 
And I went for a few days into a few weeks of just feeling abandoned by my Heavenly Father. And uh, my prayers, I felt, were going unanswered. He didn't care. And I tell you this, this was just a few months ago. And so that's why I'm saying I'm insufficient, I'm inadequate, because I doubted God. I did. I'm not in his existence, but in the promises that he has all through Bible for us. And my doubt turned into guilt and shame. Oh, my goodness, I'm in pastoral school. I'm a leader. I'm doubting you. I'm terrible. Oh, my gosh. And I began to feel so guilty and shame. And I'm wondering that if anyone else has had that moment in your life where you've doubted God because of where you are in your life or doubting the call or visions God has in you because of your circumstances. But I want to tell you that I, too, have gone through this. My journey and walk has gone through dark times. But God reminded me during this time that our most powerful tools we have as Christians is God himself, the word, and each other. We have to rely on each other. And so I began to really search the scriptures like never before, looking for answers from God. And one of my, one of my teachers in my class, she will hold up her Bible every once in a while in the class and she'll say, the Bible is not a self-help book, it's the answer. And I think that's so true because oftentimes we have it next to our parenting books or our you know, weight loss magazines or whatever, but it's the answer. Everything we have or need for life is in the word. And so God is just reminding me day after day that I've got to be in his word digging deeper than just sometimes even our regular devotions that we open and we just so, you know, we, we don't even think about what we're saying or reading. But it's so important to be in Scripture. And, Paul, you know, you think of suffering, you think of Paul and what he went through. And Romans 5, 1 through 5, reveals the purpose of suffering. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoicing in sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, and hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And I have... The Message Bible, I love to look at it for its wording. You know, I wouldn't really recommend that that be your normal everyday Bible. But I love how it talks. It's the same verse in the Message Translation. I have it up here. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's just a different wording. It says, We continue to shout our praise even though we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, how the patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. An alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Contrary, quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into the lives through the Holy Spirit. That's an awesome promise. And I love how it words it in the Message Bible. But I think this is one of those scriptures that when you read it, and I've heard it so many times, I've heard it preached on so many times, but I think it's one of those scriptures that it starts to become more real to you as you're going through life's circumstances and difficulties because you begin to think what is Paul talking about you know suffering and rejoicing it's hard to think not only what God's purpose is but to rejoice that just seems contrary to everything we think and but what happens when we're challenged as life is that we get motivated to dig deep into God's word and I turn my guilt and shame and the doubt I was feeling into digging deep and sometimes I think that when we get to our own human 
weakness, when we're at a place of we have no more strength, that's when sometimes God just deepens our relationships with him, and we start to focus in more on God. And I think that's part of the molding process that we're in as Christians and in our relationship with God. I mean, he's constantly molding us, and um, it's so important to just really focus in on what God has. And so the first point I wanted to say is that it's okay. Everyone say, it's okay. To ask God tough questions, to have doubts sometimes, I'm telling you, it's okay. And I'm going to tell you why I know it's okay. I can read so many accounts of the Bible of suffering where people have suffered, and I, and I did. I began to start from the Old Testament to the New Testament and see people that suffered and how they responded. But God kept drawing me into the last days of Christ and um, even more so into the book of Matthew and Matthew's testimony of um, Jesus' last days and his crucifixion. And I think what better example than a suffering than that of Jesus? And through all the suffering, through, through human time, through Bible time, whatever, you know, Christ's suffering went above and beyond them all. And not only, I think his suffering was so great, but he was a good person. He was sinless. He was perfect. He did around doing, he went around doing good, doing miracles. But yet he went to the cross, and he went to the cross with no fault. Jesus gave up his life for us. And I think about those last days of Jesus, and as he went around doing good, he was being tried and treated unfairly by the people around him, the religious leaders, politicians. His own disciple would betray him. He knew another disciple would deny him. He was beaten mercilessly with a whip. He had a crown of thorns put on his head as soldiers mocked him. He was spit on. They drove spikes through his hands and hung him on the cross. A lot of this in front of his friends, family, disciples. And it's just suffering at its worst. And I can't imagine the pain, the literal pain that Jesus was feeling at that moment. And this is where God, I think, was starting to really challenge me and to see that it's okay. Matthew 27:46 tells us, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I began to kind of see what God was telling me and what he's telling us. Jesus was feeling abandoned by his heavenly Father. And he did that feeling, or being perfect. And I thought, it took me, you know, a few days of thinking about this verse and thinking, you know, well, Jesus couldn't sin, but he cried out in feelings of abandonment. So maybe that's not all wrong. And I began to talk to other people, other Christian people in my life, and, and say, you know, I, mean, I know Jesus didn't sin. He was perfect. I'm not saying, you know, he sinned or anything like that. But, you know, was he doubting God? Was he, you know, his feelings of abandonment, was that okay? And I, I, I spent so many days thinking about that. And, and I thought, you know, if, if Jesus in all his perfectness, in all of his um, sinless life, if he cried out to his heavenly Father, I think it's okay for us to as well. It doesn't make us less of a Christian. It's okay to wonder and to work through our doubts. Our salvation is a walk. It's a journey. It's, we're not saved by our works, but, but our, our salvation is a journey. It's a daily walk with God. And in all of Jesus' perfection, he was human. He knows our pain. He's been there. And if he can cry out, so can we. And if you go into Luke's depiction of the crucifixion, he talks about the three hours of darkness over the earth. And I think what a terrible, sad three hours where the earth was dark. And I think, can God still work in the darkness? And 
I was reading through a book recently called Wrestling with Wonder, and it talks, it kind of speaks to Mary and what she might have been going through. And there's an excerpt from the book I wanted to talk um, to read. It says, Something was happening in the darkness, far away from where Mary was standing. Something important was beginning to happen at the temple. In the darkness, the curtain that separated the people from the Holy of Holies was being torn into two. Luke clearly links the two, two of these events in the text. God is in the darkness. He is working. He is tearing the veil. Woven from costly yarns from Babylon, the curtain blocked access to the Holy of Holies where the inner altar stood. Only once a year would the high priest enter through the curtain to make an offering for his sins and the sins of the people. That's how unapproachable, how separate God was from the people, but not forever. That's how unapproachable, how separate God was, but not forever. Because in the darkness, God was doing a new thing. And in general, culturally, then and now, a veil is worn from brides as they walk down the aisle so the brooms can't see them. Middle Eastern women wear veils to cover their faces from men. But this veil, this curtain, was to separate a holy God from a sinful people. But while Mary and Jesus' father sat in in the blackness, unable maybe to see Jesus, God rent the veil in two. He removed the barrier and he did it in the darkness. So what does that tell us about our God? It tells us though no matter our darkness, no matter the horror that we face in it, God is there. He is working. He is, in fact, maybe doing his most intimate work. God rends the curtain and reveals himself, takes down the barriers, doing a new thing often in our darkest moments. But maybe your darkness is thick and may be difficult to tear away. But our God knows how to rip through even the thickest of veils. He's done it before. He'll do it again, and he'll do it for you. And this is where I know that this is a promise that we have from God. In my darkest nights, God is doing his most intimate work in myself. You know, it's, I feel him. I know he is working in the darkness, and, and it's awesome. And I know that he'll do it for you. David, a man who describes... As a, as, a, as a man after his own heart, anguish with his heavenly father. And we, and we know in Psalms 22 that David prophetically cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. And by night, and I'm not silent. So sometimes in moments of desperation, it's when we fully begin to call on God. And it's okay. And I'm going to get to happier times. Don't worry. but Satan would have you believe that you're wrong. How could God ever forgive you? You doubt God? Well, you might as well throw in the towel with your faith. But I want to tell you, Satan is a liar, and he's going to use these things to deceive you. And my boys are super into, like, all things military. I mean, they draw ships, aircraft carriers, tanks, weapons, they're always asking me about military. How many documentaries do I need to watch? On a, I walk into Manny a, f- a few weeks ago, and he's watching a documentary on North Korea. And I'm like, what are you guys doing up here? <laughs> Come on, can we watch something a little bit more of fun? But, um, so they're always asking me about military, and my dad was a, a, in the Vietnam. He was, he was in the Army. And they're always asking me about his service and what he did in the, in the Army while well, he was in Vietnam. And, and I don't know. I mean, my dad doesn't talk about it much. 
But we were down there for Fourth of July weekend, and so I said, you know, now, boys, this is a time to ask Grandpa about his service. And so my mom pulled out, like, a trunk that had all of his military paraphernalia, his medals. He, he got medals, his uniform and pictures, newspaper clippings. And so we were going through that. And my mom had an album that she had made of pictures from his service in Vietnam. And so we were going through there. And the boys thought it was like the best day ever. And there's a picture of my dad in front of it. And I wish I would have had it because it would have been fun to show it. But a picture in front of a huge, like, helicopter. And so they were like, you know, I said, ask Grandpa what he did in Vietnam. And so he did. And so my dad began to tell us um, that he was in the Airborne Division. And when an enemy would start getting close to the U.S. troops, they would tell them to start moving, moving ahead and getting out of that area. And because of the importance of time, they would leave their weapons behind. My dad's division would um, land their helicopters, and they would quickly round up the weapons so they could move them forward in their helicopters. Because the last thing you want is for an enemy to get a hold of your weapons and use them against you. Am I right? And I think, what a metaphor for Satan and what he does in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we have an enemy that's greater than that, and his name is Satan. And often I think that sometimes we have our sins so on the forefront of us, our guilt, our shame, that Satan can come along and he can remind us of those things so often. And I think that um, oftentimes, I know myself, and this is something that God has revealed to me in just the last few weeks, of letting my own insecurities, my own guilt, and my own shame, instead of leaving it to God, I'm carrying it around with me. And what happens is the enemy, Satan, comes up behind me and will tell me, Melissa, you know, you remember a few months ago when you were doubting God? Remember a few months ago when you were feeling so much guilt and shame? And God began to, re- to really impress upon me that we have to leave our sins, our shame, our guilt, our burdens at the foot of Jesus. He is a God who wants to take our sins from us. And what the Bible talks so much about forgiveness and about our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, it tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Not only that, how many times I've thought as I sit here, I, I've done this here in this church. I've sat here in my, my shame and my guilt, and I look to the cross and I think, Jesus, take my sin, my guilt, my shame. And so often I stand up and I walk away and I go about my business and I take those things with me. And the, and the devil will come and he'll tell me, he'll remind me of those things in my past. We can all remember past sins and transgressions we've done in our lives when we were younger, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning. But what does God tell us that he does with our sin, our guilt, and shame? He tells us in Psalms, Psalms 103.12, that as far as the east is from the west... He takes our sins and removes our transgressions from us. So once you ask God to forgive you of your sins, your guilt, your shame, your doubt, whatever you're going through, your burdens, leave them with Jesus. Let God take them. He removes them from himself, and we should remove them and move on, right? And We we need to remember that we have the enemy who is constantly reminding us of these things. And I was reminded... This morning as I spent some time in prayer that um, do you ever play a game or you're in a sport and you're losing so badly that you just kind of throw everything you got into the game and say I'm just gonna 
you know, we got to try to pull this together, so, you know, we're just going to do all we can to win. Everyone come in, help us out. <clears throat> and I was, God, I think it was, I was, I was praying this morning, was kind of saying, that is what Satan does, because I'll tell you, I know God has a call on my life. He's got a call on your life. He has a purpose for my life. He has a purpose for your life. And what Satan wants to do is to stop you from walking forward in your purpose, your vision, your calling. And so he will try to throw in all these things. And I know that's what he's doing for me personally because the last two years have been amazing as I start to step forward in what God has. And, you know, I feel the arrows from Satan as he's trying to, like, stop me from doing what I'm called to do, what I know God has called me to do. And that's not just for me. All of us have a purpose. Every person here has a purpose. And as I prayed this week that who would be here today needs to hear what I need to say. If you're here today, it's because... God brought you here, and he has something for you. He's got a message for you. And maybe it's this. Maybe you feel that the enemy is throwing everything he's got at you. But maybe that's because God is getting ready to do something awesome and new in your life. And he's trying to stop you from that. So I'm saying to keep moving forward, keep going on with what God has for you. We know that greater greater is he in us than he that's in the world. God has called you sons and daughters. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And I think, you know, maybe we're not respecting the cross when we, when we bring our burdens and our shames to God and we take them around with us because he died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for your sin and for your shame so you don't have to carry it around anymore. And so we understand it's okay to have these moments of doubt and worry and whatever. But now what do we do? We move forward in Jesus' name. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He did. But he didn't stay holed up in a tomb forever. He rose again. And in that moment, his cries of abandonment were forgotten. And I think in Psalms, as, as David was crying out in Psalms 22 in his anguish, we know Psalms 23 is, my Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd. And so in just the next chapter of Psalms, David begins to turn his anguish and his prayers into praise. How do we move on? The first thing we have to do is to keep praying, because our prayers and faith will sustain us. Again, we can look to Jesus' last days, and in his darkest suffering, him and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane, near the Mountain of Olives. It would have been a pretty quiet place to get away from, with the groves of olive trees and caves would make a great area for him, for it would have been appealing and it also serves as a, such a powerful metaphor. Um, and this is why I love the Bible. When you start to read scripture, and then, you know, I'm going to suggest or encourage you, when you're reading scripture, to look up commentary and stuff about the places or what could have been going on in the times, because it just pulls it all together. And the Garden of Gethsemane was amongst the oldest and purest olive trees growing there. Researchers have said that they are the oldest and purest. The oil that was made there was made for many things. One of the things that it was made for was to anoint prophets, priests, and kings. And I think how fitting that Jesus, our Messiah, was the anointed one of God, our high priest, and our king of kings. It's just another sign that in darkest hours, God was still moving. And scripture says that Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. And I wonder, has anyone been overwhelmed with sorrow? That even in his agony, Jesus prayed for God's will. And we know that Jesus took his disciples with him to pray, and we also know that the disciples kept falling asleep. 
And sometimes we have friends who we um, have alongside of us to pray for us, but oftentimes they fall asleep, they forget to pray for us. And I think that it's important to note that Jesus kept praying through. Even though he was by himself, he kept going to pray, and we need to continue in our prayers. Even in the lonely and the dark of the night, when no one's around, cry out to God because he is there. He will honor those prayers. But it's also important to keep those faithful and friends close by. And I think of Patricia, and she a couple, month, a couple years ago, she stopped me in the, um, in the foyer and said, Melissa, I really want you to pray for me. I'm only asking a few people that I know really believe in God's healing for me. And she was going through some medical issues, um, facing cancer treatments and all that. And I thought, okay, that's nice. I'll, you know, I, I do believe he is um, the God who heals, so I'll pray for you. And while I understood her request, as I go through life, I think, man, how true that is, that it's so important to us to have people around us to pray for us that are faithful, people who believe in a faithful God. And I often think, I, I have said this before, that if you think God can't heal ALS, if you think he can't heal my dad, then don't pray for his healing. You know, I need people that are faithful in prayer. And so I'm going to go to um, Mark 5, starting at chapter 21. If you guys want to go there. I'll give you a minute because it's kind of a long, so I'd love for you to read along with me. And don't worry, I only have three points. (laughs) And we're on number two. We're good. When Jesus had crossed over by boat, this is Mark 5.21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, her so she'll be healed and li- live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Yeesh. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touched his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately she, felt, immediately she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. Go down to verse number 34. He said to his daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came and said, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You need not let anyone follow. Or he, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler, he went in and said to them, I'm sorry, when he went to the home of the ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say unto you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. And at this, they were completely astonished. And there's two things that speak to faith from these verses that I just love. One, we have the woman with the issue of blood. And from all accounts, when you are um, menstruating or having these issues back in um, those days, you would be separated from your family. And while I think that might be kind of nice sometimes, 12 years might be too long. <laughs> um, and so she had spent so much time and money trying to heal herself and She would have been by herself, probably. Her family had been separated from her. And I think that her face was being tested alone. 
you know, I'm just reading into it when we think about culture and um, where she could have been in her life, but all accounts says she was alone. And I think that, man, she had unstoppable faith. I don't think that was, there was anything that could have kept her in between her and Jesus. And it said that she would be freed from her suffering, and I think that we also need to have that freedom that God will free us from our sufferings. And sometimes it takes us by ourselves, our, our faith in, our, in God by ourselves. But then we have the, the faith in the ruler's house. Not a lot of faith. It was filled with people. Here, Jairus had a lot of people around him. But they were making a commotion, wailing. And even when Jesus walked in, and I, and I think, I would think that they had to have known who Jesus was when he was walking into their house. And for them to, to, when Jesus gave them the chance to believe and said, you know, she's asleep, she's, she's fine, they still laughed at him. And, you know, Jesus sent them away, and it probably had a lot to do with the noise and this, the commotion and stuff, but I also think it had to do with them being faithless. I think it's so important that we surround ourselves with people that are faithful, people who will encourage and support us, people who believe in the God of the miracles, and we can encourage each other in our faith by doing so. And we have people that sometimes will come and laugh or mock us at our conviction or our call that God has on us. But it's so important that we keep closer our friends that will encourage us. And Paula, I, don't, I hope you are okay with me sharing this. Um, I was just thinking of this um, just this minute. But um, Paula graduated in May, June with her teaching degree. And she started looking for jobs. And she started texting a few of the ladies here in church asking us to pray for her. And, you know, she found a job. Awesome. Thanks to God, she found a job. But I think that through this, it strengthened my faith because I remember reading some of the texts, because it was a group text, reading some of them that were coming through to um, Paula's situation and just the encouragement and the people reminding Paula of the promises that God has for her life. It was so encouraging. And I think what an awesome church we have that we can support each other and I think, you know, as Patricia encouraged me, um, she's a little bit older than I am, and I, I thank her for her, um, her wisdom in that, and I'm older than Paola, unfortunately. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm happy that we have women in the church that will gather around each other and help us through these circumstances and, and, and encourage us in the faith. And Paul also encouraged the church at Corinth to keep the faith. They were experiencing troubled times, the church, Paul, were being or persecuted, and people were leaving the church. And so Paul, in his second Corinthians, his letter to the church there, he tells them that we walk by faith and not by sight. Even though we can see our circumstances, we must believe God's word over those circumstances. Faith is not about hiding from the truth or denying reality, but believing God's promises and living them out over what's happening. When we focus on the unseen and eternal, we will be renewed. My third and final point, I'm getting down there, is our journey together. I've talked about my journey, your journey, um, as individuals, because that is our relationship and faith at times. It is individual. But it, um, we, we're on this journey together. This church is, some, or is here to support each other and to go on this journey of life together. And we know the church exists to make disciples and to proclaim the gospel of Christ, but we also know that the church is where we find fellowship and draw on each other's strength corporately through Christ. We weep together and rejoice together. These are biblical principles. And God kept telling me this this week, and I was like, I don't know if I should say this because pastor's not here and someone's going to tell him this. But this is what I feel like God has been telling me for this church, specifically Rockville Assembly. 
we are at a crossroads, I feel, this church is. And I can't tell you, I'm in the office, and so I receive emails and the phone calls that come in, and, and I often will write letters or to call somebody who hasn't been here for a while. And in the last couple months, I've had a couple people who haven't been here for a while, and I've spoke to them and said, you know, we miss you, where you've been? And they've told me that they were going through challenges and no one ever really reached out to them. They were never able to make connections here. And I thought how sad that is that we, and those are few and far between. This is not, I'm not going to, being here beating up on you guys, because those are not um, normal situations. But I think that, you know, we are at a crossroads where, you know, are we going to continue going on, living separately, carrying our burdens by ourselves every day, every week? We're here on Sundays, but, and I do this, so often you guys come and, Hey, Melissa, how's it going? And I'm like, great, everything's awesome. But inside, I'm like, it's not. Help me. But I think sometimes we do that. And as families, we have to be so open and honest with each other. That's what we're here for. And sometimes we don't want to tell each other our suffering, our bad news, or what we're going through. But I think that's what we're here for. I think that's what church is supposed to be for each other. And so I think about either we can continue on going through life by ourselves, facing our challenges alone, or we continue, or we can start to embrace each other. We can start to recognize the importance of living out our faith together. So many of us are hurting, and whether it's out of embarrassment, shame, fear, of judgment, we go through these things alone. And I don't think this is biblical. I don't think it's healthy to our church. I don't think it's healthy to us as individuals. And I, God was telling me this yesterday. I was here. I was preaching to an empty sanctuary. And as I was driving home, I was praying, you know, God, is there anything else you want me to say to this church tomorrow? Because I, I know that the importance every time I get up here is not me, my words, but it's God and his Holy Spirit in me. And so I was praying, you know, God, is there anything else? And I think one of the things that, you know, he, he just kept um, impressing upon me is that We've got to get connected to each other. We've got to spend more time with each other. We have to be able to talk through our issues, our hurts together. And um, Pastor Nelson has this awesome vision, and it's about Table Time Fellowship. And I'm sure when he comes back, he will um, start talking about that again. And um, worship team, if you guys want to start coming up, I'm closing. But this is a vision that he has, and it's amazing vision. And he's actually written a little... Um, I guess, uh, pamphlet, or I don't know what the white, white word is, um, journal, I don't know, about his table time fellowship and the vision God has given him for it. And I was telling him, I was like, Pastor Nelson, I need to, like, we need to market this because this was so good. And so I'm so excited when he comes back. I know he's, this is a thing that's going to go the end of this year, 2016, into 2017. And I really think if you want to be with the church as it's going through some awesome times, I think you're going to want to be involved in this table time fellowship. And it's not about having these big, drawn-out Bible studies, but it's about getting together over a cup of coffee, over a meal, and talking about the things that God's doing in your life, testimonies of what he's doing, or maybe a hurt that you're going through, and talking about scripture and just spending time with each other. And as God was impressing upon me yesterday, this is what he was telling me, because I pray all the time that God fills these empty pews, that he brings our communities into this church. And what he was telling me yesterday, that 
maybe we're not ready for the community because we are hurting ourselves and we're not helping each other out. How can we support a community? And it's not us, it's God. I, I, I know that. Um, but when we have people coming in from the community, our world is hurting, man. When I look around, when I watch the news and I see the people hurting right here in our own community around the world, I think, man, as a church, we have a huge job ahead of us because we know that in the last days it's only going to get worse. And it's so important that we begin to um, reach out to the hurting. And we have to do that starting here with each other. And it's, it's God that's working. It's not us. It's not about us helping each other out. It's about allowing God's spirit to move in us, helping each other out. And so I think, will we be like the people who are loudly weeping full of our lack of faith in Jairus' home? Or will we believe together in a God whose greatness is on constant display? A God who did miracles in the Bible and a God who still works miracles today. I believe in a God who even in the darkest of suffering is faithful. When we don't understand the purpose of our storms, he is still moving. And I think here at Rockville Assembly, your pastors, your leadership, the board, we value each other's visions, we value each other's purpose, we value relationships, and we value the importance of supporting each other. If you guys can do me a favor and just bow your heads, close your eyes. We serve a God who is bigger than our sins. He sent his son to die for our sins. What a shame to go this day without releasing our sins and making him king over our lives. If you're here and you've never accepted that call to follow God, I would just ask for you to slip up your hand because God loves you. He cares for you. He wants so much for you to be in part of his family and God's family. If you guys can um, stand up for me. And I was thinking this week of how to close this service. And, you know, I don't like to embarrass anybody. I don't want to call people out or people forward if they're not feeling comfortable with it. But I'm wondering if there's anyone here that's going through challenges of life. Life has been tough. You're going through heartache, maybe suffering, or maybe you're just sick. You're dealing with illness. You have family members that have problems. If that's you, I'm wondering if you'll just slip up your hands. Because we're family. We care about you. We want to go through these challenges with you. We want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. I'm going through challenges. I see you guys. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I'm keeping my hands up. Life is hard, man. It's hard sometimes. I want you to look around, and if you see someone raising their hands, I want you to just go next to them, maybe put your hands on them, because we're going to pray together. I'm not going to ask you to, to tell people your challenges, your struggles. I'm not going to ask you to say prayers you don't want to say for somebody. But I'm going to ask you to, to take a look around. I see people with their hands raised, and not everybody has someone next to them praying for them. And I really think it's important that we do that during this, these last moments we have together. I'm going to begin to pray, but if you're standing next to someone with their hand raised, I ask that you also pray along with me. Open your mouth, pray, let them hear you as I'm praying as well. Um, it's so important. This is what family does for each other. Dear Heavenly God, Father, God, we bring you our struggles, our hurts, our challenges. 
And God, we lay them before your throne, God. Those burdens that we carry from day after day, Lord, we take them off our back and we lay them at your feet, God. And we know that as we lay them at your feet, you take them and you remove them from us so we can walk forward in peace, God. I pray for every person, every situation here today that's going through hard times, God, that you will be with them, that even in the midst of the darkest of suffering, God, you are there. And not only, God, are you there to comfort and to be as a refuge for us, but, God, you are there and you are moving. And, God, we may not understand the purpose of what's going on in our life, but, God, that you will begin to reveal your purpose in us and that we will walk forward in that purpose, in the vision that you have in us, God, and that maybe even during these darkest, toughest times, God, you will reveal yourself even more to us and you will reveal the power And your strength will be made perfect, God, in our weakness. Not so we can boast in our problems or in the things that you're doing, but, God, that we can boast in your power and your strength, God. Because in our weaknesses, God, we can do nothing. But as we, God, we pull into your 